the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, Tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I am a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. This terrified them and they asked, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher. So they asked him, what should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, for you, Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Thanks for that. Um, Sorry for all the jokes about being Australian. Um, I'm, I'm technically the international speaker, um, so I felt like it was my job to have a bit of a dig there. Um, because of COVID, um, who, the guy who was down to come from, from Australia to do the, uh, the talks uh, wasn't able to come, and so you got me instead. So I'm feeling quite inadequate at this point. Um, and so uh, I'm feeling a bit overwhelmed. You've all given up your evening of a stat Monday uh, to come here, uh, it's sunny outside, there's other things you could be doing. Um, I've, uh, yeah, like, I've got a great privilege to open God's Word for you, but feeling a little bit overwhelmed, so I'm going to pray and ask that God won't, um, well, ask that it just won't be me speaking, but that you'll hear God's voice as we look at Jonah chapter 1 together. So will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we, um, we thank you for the privilege to gather as your people, gather around your Word. Lord, we thank you that you uh, promise to work in us by your Holy Spirit as we read your word, and we pray that you'll do that tonight. Lord, help us hear your voice. And Lord, help us to see you. Help us to see your inescapable power and mercy. 
And Lord, we pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. In your life, have you ever run away? You know, headed for the hills, scarpered, smoke bomb, ghosted. Uh, shortly after I was at high school, I got a job working in a, uh, a ki- as a kitchen hand in an Italian restaurant. I was pretty stoked with the job at the time. It had the three Ps of a good job. I don't know if that's a thing, I just made it up. But the three Ps, proximity, it was close to home and close to uni. Pay, it was paying more than the minimum wage, which at the time was about six bucks an hour. Uh, and people, uh, there was an attractive red-headed waitress called Adele who went to my church who worked there as well. Tick, tick, all the boxes. Uh, But everything changed after my first shift. Uh, I was led through uh, what looked like a very pleasant restaurant into a very neat and tidy serving area and then right out to the back to this small, hot, smelly, dirty kitchen. And in that kitchen, I was um, given a 30-second lesson on how to peel and gut a prawn. Uh, And then I was pointed in the large direction of these raw crustaceans and told to go for it. And that's what I did for the next four hours. I had a, the occasional break uh, to come up from air where I was uh, privileged to go and wash the dishes. Uh, once my shift was over, I never went back. Uh, I'm not proud of this, uh, but I never called them. Uh, I didn't return their calls. I didn't answer their calls. I didn't turn up for my next shift. I, there was a, it was a section of shops that was not too far from my house, but I never went to that set of shops ever again in case someone there saw me and recognized me. I ran away as far as I could uh, being a poor uni student. Running away, it's, it's one of the ways that a lot of us deal with life's problems, isn't it? It's part of that fight or flight response. It's the flight bit of fight or flight. If something is too hard or too scary or too uncomfortable, we we do a runner, we run away. Some of us do this with our relationships, some of us do it with our finances, some do it with our jobs or our studies, some of it with the churches we attend. We run and think that will solve the problem. But there is a limit to who or what we can run from. And here in Jonah chapter 1, the prophet Jonah finds that limit. And now Jonah, it's a familiar story Uh, I'm sure that you know it well, uh, but there are a few important things for us to begin uh, to realize as we begin. Firstly, this book isn't really about Jonah and the whale. If you're here this morning, you might have uh, picked that up. Uh, Like I said this morning, uh, the big fish is just a bit of a red herring, pun intended. Uh, It's a distraction to what's going on. Uh, There's lots of big things in the book of Jonah. It's it's like a a tour of the countryside where the the, the big this, that and the other. Uh, There's a big storm in Jonah, there's a big fish, there's a big city. But ultimately, it's a story about a big God with a big heart. The book of Jonah, it's all about God's character. It's about who God is and it's about what He is like. And in particular, one of the things we get a really clear look at in the book of Jonah is that we get to see that this is the God who saves He is the God of unstoppable grace and mercy. Uh, And in Jonah chapter 1, the first thing we see about this God who saves is that He is the sovereign Lord. He is the powerful God who created everyone and rules over everything. Uh, So look with me at Jonah chapter 1. If you're struggling to find Jonah, it's just after Obadiah, um, you know, all 21 verses of it. Um, Jonah chapter 1 verse 1. Have a look. It would be great if you can open it up. It begins with the word, of the, God, the word of the Lord coming to Jonah. Uh, chapter 1, verse 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. 
All right, we've got a little bit of a clue there about Jonah. Uh, what, do we, what do we find out about him? First, God spoke to him. He's a prophet. Uh, second, he's got a mission. It's to go to the great city of Nineveh. Uh, third, we're told he's the son of Amittai. Uh, and with that information, we can piece together a little bit more about Jonah from the Old Testament. Uh, in 2 Kings 14, uh, we read that Jonah lived during uh, the reign of Jeroboam II, uh, one of the kings of Israel. This tells us a few more things. Uh, uh, first, it tells us he was a, he was a prophet in the, the, the northern kingdom of Israel. So when the kingdom split in 922 BC, Israel became the northern kingdom, Judah became the southern kingdom. So Jonah is in the north. Uh, and in 2 Kings, we also read that Jonah prophesied uh, for the king, Jeroboam II, one of the dodgy kings of Israel, which means that he's, he's kind of like in the, in, the, in the king's court. He's kind of in the inner circle. He's kind of close to the heart and soul of the nation of Israel. And one of the things that Jonah actually prophesied was the re-establishment of boundaries of Israel. The boundaries would be secure, even though they had this dodgy king ruling over them. So we can see that Jonah's like a, he's a, he's a nationalist, he's a, he's a patriot, he's someone who, who, is, who has Israel close to his heart. If you were to think about who he might be, he might have been a close government advisor in these days. He was part of the inner sanctum of Israel's leadership. He's actually someone whose loyalties to the nation couldn't be questioned. And so he's our loyal prophet. And God commands him in verse 2, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. Now you've got to say the instructions to Jonah here, they're pretty clear. Uh, he, he can't claim that he didn't understand what was being asked of him. Uh, but what does Jonah do when the instruction comes? Well, Jonah does what I did. He runs. Uh, he heads down to Joppa and then he heads in the opposite direction. In fact, um, I pulled up a Google map from the time. Oh, I'm wrestling with the guys in the booth. Thank you. Um, uh, he does almost everything opposite to what he is told to do. Jonah should have been heading east. That's that way. But instead, he heads west. And he goes as far west as he possibly can. He should have been traveling across the land and through the desert, often Nineveh, but instead he travels down to the water and a sea, putting as much distance between himself and Nineveh as possible. He should have been going to the great city of Nineveh, the center of the known world, but instead he, he, he kind of heads to the end of the earth, as far away from civilization as possible. You see, Jonah, he does the equivalent of being here in Christchurch and being asked to you know, pop up to Nelson, but instead he heads over to Littleton and he gets on the next boat to Antarctica. He's, he's going completely the opposite. It, 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 like, it literally is ridiculous. He's not a little off course. He is a long way off course. But why is he fleeing? Why doesn't he want to do this, this mission to Nineveh? Well, there's two possibilities for us. Uh, Jonah's either a chicken or Jonah is a rat. So Jonah the chicken, maybe it's the task that Jonah wants to run away from. You see, Nineveh, it's a city of 120,000 people. Uh, they're known to be godless, brutal, murderous, wicked people, notoriously violent. Uh, and they're the sworn enemies of, of, of Israel. Previously, when Israel had been under attack, the invaders sought refuge from Nineveh, sought refuge in Nineveh. Nineveh had kind of harbored and offered hospitality to those who had just been plundering the people of God. And the Israelites, as the Israelites kind of looked at the world around them, as they surveyed the world around them and, and, and formulated policy, uh, the greatest and most immediate danger was Nineveh. 
And so here's poor Jonah, a prophet from the king's inner circle, a loyalist, a patriot, and he's being asked to leave the comfort and security of Israel, and he's being sent with a message of warning and judgment to the, to the sworn enemies of God's people. One writer puts it like this, they say, uh, the Assyrians, which is uh, Nineveh was the capital of Assyria, the Assyrians were the Nazi stormtroopers of the ancient world. For Jonah, it was stood as a symbol of evil incarnate. Another said this, to, Jonah, uh, to, uh, to go up to Nineveh means for Jonah, it means to go to hell. And so, maybe confronted by that, Jonah is a chicken. He's scared. He doesn't want to go on a suicide mission. He doesn't want to do it. And so he does what a chicken does and he runs away. Or is it Jonah the rat? Maybe he doesn't want these godless pagans to hear from the Lord. See, if he goes there, there's this off chance, there's this outside chance they might listen and believe what he says. That Nineveh might repent, that uh, Jonah is worried that he, 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 they might repent and be avoided. I mean, Jonah's probably sitting there thinking it through. God would have no reason to send a warning unless there is a chance, some chance, that judgment could be averted. And Jonah, the rat, doesn't want to give them that chance. He doesn't want to have a hand in the salvation of his enemy. For such a loyal prophet, he would be a traitor. Uh, he would be uh, hung out and left to dry by his people. Imagine him coming back from Nineveh with the great news that Nineveh had repented. And what would they do for Jonah then? He's certainly out of a job. Maybe Jonah knows this or he's worried about this and he doesn't want to do it. Is it Jonah the rat? He doesn't want to give these godless pagans any warning from the Lord. Now, at this stage, we're not told why. Uh, We're not told whether it's because he's a chicken or a rat and I don't want to spoil the ending. Uh, You'll get that in chapter 4. But we do know who Jonah is running from. We know who he's running from. We know he's not actually running away from Nineveh. He's running from the Lord. Now have a look there in verse 3 with me. Uh, in verse 3. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went on board and sailed to flee from the Lord. You see, what Jonah is trying to do is he's trying to put some distance between himself and the Lord. He's trying to get to a place where he thinks God is not God and so he can be free of his commands. And so, uh, uh, and so God is trying to send Jonah to Nineveh, uh, but Jonah does a runner to Tarshish. And so now it's kind of in the story, the ball is in God's court. Uh, Jonah's on the boat on his way to Tarshish. What's God going to do about it? Well, verse 4. Verse 4, then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break apart. All the sailors were afraid and each cried out to his own God and they they threw their cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. Uh, Now, uh, in the original language, uh, God doesn't just uh, kind of send a storm like you might post the letter or send an email. It's like God hurls a storm at Jonah's boat 
And actually, uh, in, in Jonah chapter 1, there's, like in the original language, there's quite a lot of hurling that's going on. Uh, God hurls a storm at Jonah's boat, and then the sailors are hurling their cargo into the sea. And, and maybe there's another sort of kind of hurling that's going on on that boat. I grew up doing a fair bit of sailing, uh, some offshore racing. That's one of the things I really miss uh, living in New, uh, Wellington because it's too windy to go sailing. Um, and I, one thing I learned sailing growing up is that there's three stages of seasickness. Does anyone know what they are? The first is uh, you're worried sick that you're going to be sick. The second is you're worried sick that you're going to die. And the third is you're worried sick that you're not going to die. Uh, now, according to that scale, the sailors on Jonah's boat, they're at stage two now. They're worried sick they're going to die. And you can picture them, can't you? Sitting there in this boat. They're sitting in this boat. They've battened down the hatches. The weather is raging around them. And they can hear the wood creaking and cracking as the ship is coming apart. And, and they're struggling to hold together. And they, like the, the, their training kicks in. Uh, and they begin to work through their emergency checklist. First thing, lighten the ship. Hurl everything overboard. Maybe the, get, get rid of the cargo. Maybe the boat will float a little higher. It won't take on so much water. Doesn't work. Second on the list, call for help. No coast guard. All they've got, they they call out to the gods for help. Now, it's not a bad idea if you're one of these sailors on the ship. Uh, They probably, uh, there's there's people on the ship from all over the world and each nationality they believed had its own god. Uh, And so, the, the odds are pretty good that maybe you might get lucky. Maybe someone's god is walking past and, and they can get their attention and, and they might be able to help them. And so as they're, um, they're, they're all calling on their own gods and the captain goes below deck and finds Jonah sleeping. He's not pulling his weight. He's not helping them do number two on their checklist. Verse six. The captain went to him and said, how can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so we will not perish. And so now they've got everyone on the boat praying, but it's still not working. And so they come up with another plan. Last item on the checklist, cast lots and find out who's responsible for the storm. You never guess. You never guess it, would you? The lot falls to Jonah. And see there in verse 8. Verse 8, so they ask him, tell us who is responsible for making all this trouble for us. What kind of work do you do? That's telling, isn't it? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? Now, Jonah's already told the sailors on the boat that he's running away from someone. Uh, the Hebrew word for the Lord is, is Yahweh, the personal name for God. And, and so the sailors who don't know any better, they think that Jonah is running away from some bloke called Yahweh, whoever that was. Maybe they thought that Jonah owed Yahweh some money or he stole something and Yahweh was very angry with him and so he got on a boat and he's running away. But in verse 9, Jonah tells them who Yahweh really is. Verse 9, Jonah answered, I am a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, that is Yahweh, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. Now, if you're sitting on this boat, that is the worst news possible. Verse 10, this terrified them. And they asked, what have you done? They're saying to Jonah, you, said you're, you, you never said you were running away from your God. 
You're the cause of this trouble. And these sailors, they're rightly terrified. This guy is trying to run away from the God who made the sea. See, they realize that Jonah's trying to do the impossible. He's trying to run away from an all-powerful God, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. And unlike their, like, small g gods, this God, Yahweh, isn't limited by geography. He's not restricted to a certain area of life or a certain part of the world. He's not busy quarreling with other gods. Jonah, they realize, is trying to run away from the God who cannot be escaped. It's like trying to get away from gravity. You can jump up and down all you want, but there is no way on earth that you can escape it. And for Jonah and for us, there is nowhere where we can run God. There is nowhere where we can hide from Him. He is the God of heaven who created the earth and the sea. He is sovereign and He rules over it all. And there in this boat, as some sort of response to Jonah's confession to the realization that the sailors have made. The sea, it steps up a notch in verse 11. Verse 11, the sea was getting rougher and rougher. Jonah knows the only way to calm the storm. Uh, For Jonah, the only escape is to uh, stop running from God. It's interesting here, Jonah knows this. Maybe this helps you answer the question whether it's Jonah the chicken or the rat. Jonah knows this, but he doesn't jump. He makes them throw him overboard. Despite their reluctance, Jonah convinces the sailors to hurl him into the sea. Uh, they, they allow Jonah to face the consequences for his wickedness, for trying to run away from God. Have a look there in verse 14. Verse 14. Then they, that is the sailors, cried out to the Lord, Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, Lord have done as you pleased. That's a picture of God's sovereignty, isn't it? You have done as you've pleased. Then they took Jonah and they threw him overboard. The sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. You see, these sailors, they are, they are left awestruck. You can imagine them sitting there in, in, in the wreck of a boat looking at each other. What have we just done? Sitting there in the wreck of this boat, bobbing calmly on the sea, what has just happened? They have come face to face with the awesome power of Yahweh, the God of heaven who made the land and the sea. And they've just seen what happens to those who defy him, those who try and run from him. And these people, these pagan sailors of all people, will they give Yahweh the worship and the obedience that he deserves? And in contrast, Jonah, the loyal prophet, close to the heart of Israel, of all people who should have been attentive to God's word, of all people who should have been obedient to God's word, he runs away, he defies the Lord. The thing he didn't want has happened. These dirty, wicked, pagan sailors, they fear the Lord, it says in verse 16. They offer sacrifices and make vows to him. They do what Jonah wouldn't do. They worship and obey the sovereign Lord. And if Jonah is a rat, if he was running away so the wicked pagans, people he didn't like, wouldn't have the chance to repent, well, God's got a sense of humor, doesn't he? He's failed. 
It's literally a boatload of pagans worshipping the Lord while Jonah sinks to the bottom of the sea. Uh, now, many think that the story ought to end there. Um, it, you know, on one level, it'd be totally fine and complete for that to be the end. Uh, Yahweh getting the honour and glory and worship that he deserves. Jonah, the disobedient prophet, uh, sinking to the bottom of the sea, getting what he deserves. Uh, but the Lord has other ideas. The Lord doesn't give Jonah what he deserves. He saves his wayward servant. We saw there in verse 17. Have a look there. Verse 17, but the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was inside the fish for three days and three nights. See, despite his rebellion, despite his wickedness, God rescues Jonah. He restores his wayward prophets. And here's where we begin to see what this book is all about. This book is all about God. It's all about his character. It's all about what he is like. And what we see here in chapter 1 is we see uh, two things. We see God's inescapable power and we see His unbelievable mercy. His inescapable power, despite our best efforts to thwart the plans of God, despite our sin and our rebellion, despite our frailty and our failure, God's power, His rule, His sovereignty, His control, it is inescapable. And we also see his mercy, his, his grace, his kindness, his forgiveness, his compassion. It's, it's undeserved. There are clear echoes of Jonah chapter 1 in, in Luke chapter 8. Uh, as another prophet is taking a trip on a boat and the boat gets in trouble. And as unusual as it was for Jonah to be sleeping in the midst of a to- storm, so too was Jesus. And as the waves crashed around the the boat, the sailors, experienced seamen, again, they were panicking and they call on Jesus. And in Luke chapter 8, verse 24, we read this. The disciples went and they woke him, that is Jesus, saying, Master, Master, we're going to drown. He got up and rebuked the wind and the raging waters. The storm subsided and all was calm. Where is your faith? He asked his disciples. In fear and amazement, they asked one another, Who is this? He commands even the wind, and they obey him. See, there on that lake, in that storm, Jesus is showing that he has the same power we see in Jonah chapter 1. He calms the storm with a word. The God of Jonah chapter 1, the God whose power is inescapable, we see this power working in Jesus. And so for you and for me, as we come face to face with the words of Jesus in the New Testament, we come face to face with this God, the God of Jonah, the sovereign Lord, the one who made the land and the sea and everything in it, the sovereign Lord who is powerfully in control, who will not be defied, who cannot be bullied or ignored or avoided. The God who can even use the disobedience, the rebellion of His people. He can use that to still further His plans and His purposes. You see, God's sovereignty, there is no limits to His rule. He is in control of every aspect of life. The good, the bad and the ugly. And it's on display here in Jonah chapter 1. And God's sovereignty, that God is sovereign over everything, that God rules over everything, that God is inescapable. How does that make you feel? 
I think it's one of the things that the book of Jonah is trying to do. It's trying to evoke things, trying to evoke emotions. Some of us are uncomfortable with that. Um, but that's, I think it's what it's trying to do. How does it make you feel to know that God is like this? To know that God is in control, to know that He cannot be defied, to know that there is no Tarshish where you can escape to, where God is not God. Charles Spurgeon, the great English Baptist preacher, put it like this. No doctrine in the whole world has more excited the hatred of mankind than the truth of the absolute sovereignty of God. Do you resonate with that? As creatures that from the very beginning have sought to defy God, to reject Him, to question Him, to disobey His word, nothing is more offensive to our personal quest for independence than the fact that God is sovereign, that we can't escape Him, that we can't be free of Him. That no matter how far we run, no matter how much we disobey, no matter how much we close our ears to God's Word, He is still the Sovereign Lord. And for Jonah, and for some of us, we hate it. We hate it because we do not want to let go of control. We hate it because like Jonah, we don't want to give control to God who might have a different vision for our world. We might have a different vision for our church. We might have a different vision for our life than the vision that we have for ourselves. But there's a flip side to this. and I, I, I only saw this today and I thought it was fascinating enough to change my, the end of my talk. Um, Spurgeon also said this, and this is amazing. Spurgeon also said, there is no attribute of God, attribute of God more comforting to his children than the doctrine of divine sovereignty. Do you find that fascinating? On one hand, there is no doctrine that excites as much hatred. On the other hand, there is a doctrine that is the most comforting. For those of us who are children of God, for those of us who listen to God, who trust Him, who follow His Word, well, the reality of the sovereignty of God that God is in control, that He cannot be defied or escaped. It's beautiful. It's life-giving. It's our greatest hope and comfort. Uh, Just let me tell you a story from my own life. Uh, Some of you know that in October, uh, my son Isaac was diagnosed with leukemia, a blood cancer. Uh, We had just moved countries. Uh, We had just moved to Wellington to plant a church. We had been there for 18 months. Our little church was barely 50 people. Literally, uh, we left overnight. We got the diagnosis at 9pm on Monday night, at 7am on Tuesday morning. We were on a plane and at 9am we walked into the oncology ward at Christchurch Hospital for an unknown period of time. Uh, It turns out we were away from Wellington for eight months All we had to trust in was the sovereignty and goodness of God. That God was good. That He was in control. That He was caring for us and our son. And it may seem trivial given your son's kind of got a life-threatening disease, but it mattered that He was caring for our church. Uh, In that time, God alone was our only hope and comfort. 
And as we endured that storm away from our church, do you know what God did? Well, our son was healed, praised God for that. Uh, But the other thing was, God grew our church. Now, the church planting manuals, they don't recommend uh, have the pastor leave for eight months in the first two years of church planting. In God's sovereign plan, that is what happened. And the sovereign Lord continued with his mission. Uh, We left the church of about 50 and turned up later to a church of about 70. The Sovereign Lord. He can use the most unusual circumstances to bring about the growth in His kingdom. Sin and sickness will not get in the way. You see, Jonah, this rebellious prophet, he can't thwart the plans of the Sovereign Lord. And hundreds of years later, wicked people will lead another prophet off to be killed. They nail him to a cross, hoping to put an end to his mission and ministry. And little did they know that they were demonstrating most clearly and powerfully the mercy and the sovereignty of God. As the Apostle Peter stands before the crowds at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, he says this. He says, fellow Israelites... Listen to this, Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. You see, even at the height of humanity's rebellion against him, God is in complete control. His plans of mercy and grace, they cannot be thwarted. To which I think we ought to say, and thanks be to God, the Sovereign Lord. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we um, know that there are times where we have uh, sought to run, where we've sought to get away from you, to ignore your word, to defy you. But Lord, your word tells us clearly that you are the Sovereign Lord, that you can even work through that to bring about great good. And Lord, help us to be comforted by your sovereignty, comforted as we entrust ourselves to you, to your mercy and grace.